insurance agents to football coaches to government officials. Our clients represent a spectrum of personalities and professions. Most of them, however, arrive at our doorstep stymied. They're unhappy with their career progress. They're bored by their jobs. They're overwhelmed by their work responsibilities. They can't adapt to a changing work environment. They're not as successful or effective as they want to be. Try as they might, they can't figure out what's wrong. That's because they're looking in the wrong places. Typically, they assume that they're stuck because of a stupid boss or ignorant organization. They believe that they need more training, education, or skills. They may conclude that they just need a change of scenery and switch jobs or even industries. What all these people fail to do is link the personal and the professional. Unexamined personal issues from their past are affecting present behaviors. They are being acted upon rather than being actors in their own lives. If this concept seems like so much psychological mumbo-jumbo, let me clarify what it really is and what it is not. The people we work with aren't seriously disturbed individuals who have repressed some horrific childhood experience. They're not bizarre, pathological people desperately trying to turn around their lives. They are normal men and women who come from typical families, families that have given their members both strengths and issues to work on. Unconsciously, they hurt themselves in work situations because of these unresolved issues. What they've come to understand, and what this book will help you learn, is that they are engaged in a growth and development process that they control. By becoming emotionally fit, they can grow and develop at an astonishing pace. A double-edged sword. Examining your past and identifying recurring patterns of feelings are essential parts of this growth process. They will lead you to your familiar. Like many people, you may have certain misconceptions about this process. Misunderstandings abound because of the media's mostly inaccurate stories about psychoanalysis and because of neurotic therapists who have misused the valuable body of knowledge to foster self-awareness at the expense of action. Their patients don't have the vaguest idea about how to use what they know. The point of looking into your past is not to place blame or exact your pound of flesh. Your past issues and emotional baggage aren't simply the result of growing up in dysfunctional, abnormal families. In reality, they're the product of growing up in cultures and subcultures that taught you skills, attitudes, and behaviors appropriate for that time and place, but inappropriate in the future. This is no one's fault. This has been true in all eras and cultures. Every generation is enhanced and limited by what it becomes accustomed to. All of us have a legacy that contains both skills and emotional baggage. Still, some of you may view looking into your past as dwelling on the negative. We've worked with people who reflexively fight and criticize the process, asserting that nothing good can come from examining the bad things in their lives. If you find yourself reacting this way, understand that this book is an opportunity to come to terms with the whole range of feelings that shapes why you do what you do. These feelings, however, hold the key for you to become something better and more fulfilling. Waves and Frontiers My work as a cultural historian and a psychotherapist has shaped my perspective. I'd like to share some observations related to both these areas that will give you a sense of how this perspective evolved. Alvin Toffler and other social scientists 
have talked about the four waves that have produced massive changes in society. From hunting and gathering to farming, from farming to the Industrial Revolution, from the Industrial Revolution to an information-intensive culture, from an information-intensive culture to a communication-intensive society. All these changes required us to adapt. When we became an agricultural society, instead of hunters and gatherers, we realized we didn't have to move around all the time and could settle in one place. When we invented mass production and factories, we discovered we could do more with our lives than subsist and survive. The Internet and other manifestations of the communication revolution have forced us to compete in a global marketplace. All our adapting up to this point has been focused on externals. Now, with the fifth wave, it becomes internal. In the fifth wave, the breakthroughs for both individuals and organizations are internal. The more self-knowledge we have, the better able we'll be to adapt to and capitalize on external forces. Self-aware people don't resist change. They don't make counterproductive decisions based on feelings they don't even realize they have. Instead, they move swiftly and decisively. Self-knowledge is energizing. People who know what drives them are much more willing to take risks, test new ideas, and aggressively pursue opportunities. They're always looking for ways to grow and develop. For them, the frontiers are internal. They are constantly exploring who they are relative to who they've been. The knowledge they gain gives them an advantage that can no longer be gained through external means. A frontier that's accessible to all. To capitalize on the ideas in this book, you don't have to spend the next 10 years in intensive therapy. Though acquiring self-knowledge and changing behaviors involves some risk and discomfort, everyone is capable of doing so. To help you understand what is involved, I'd like to share the story of one individual we'll call Larry. Throughout the tape, I'm going to be illustrating points with stories of a wide variety of professionals. These are people who have plateaued in their careers or are struggling with many different workplace issues. Like Larry, they made no progress on these issues until they turned inward. Larry is a skilled middle manager in a large technology company who had just received a challenging assignment from his new boss. He was a few weeks into this important project when his boss pulled him off it and gave him another assignment that Larry found mundane. As you might expect, Larry was furious and resentful. Because he wasn't given an explanation as to why he was pulled off the project, he felt excluded and demeaned. Larry, of course, complained to his fellow employees about his supervisor, and a few of them said, yeah, the guy has a click, he plays favorites, we've seen him do this before, and get used to it. That's just the way things are. When we began working with Larry, we told him that his points were valid, and we understood why he felt the way he did. Though, as it turned out, his boss had no idea that Larry was upset. As we talked to Larry, we asked a simple but revealing question. Did you go to your boss and tell him how you felt? Instead of answering the question, Larry went off on a tangent. Later in the discussion, we asked the same question, and again he avoided answering directly. When we confronted Larry with his avoidance, he admitted that he hadn't told his boss how he felt. What Larry discovered was that he never told anyone, either at work or in his personal life, how he felt in straightforward, unambiguous terms. 
Larry isn't unique or even unusual. Like him, many people are inept when it comes to articulating their needs. They're often terrific at meeting the needs of others. But when it comes to their own requirements, they're speechless and clueless. In fact, Larry wanted to feel like his needs were not being met. As strange as it may seem, he would have liked nothing better than to leave the company in a self-righteous furor, feeling like he worked his tail off, but his effort and talents went unrecognized. This isn't a conscious process. Larry wasn't aware that he received a perverse kind of satisfaction from his martyrdom. He only became aware of what his underlying motivation was when it dawned on him that he had played the same role in his family. There, too, his needs went unmet. Years later, the power of that role was still exerting itself. Larry has been making great strides by drilling down to his personal issues. He's learning how to tell people exactly how he feels and deal with all the anxiety that action produces. We don't want to pretend this is easy. It would be far easier for Larry to talk to human resources about his problem and take a special course on dealing with difficult bosses. They would help him appreciate that his boss is under tremendous pressure and Larry needs to cut him some slack. All this might be true and easy for Larry to accept, but it has nothing to do with his real issue. It won't prevent him from turning himself into a martyr and being stuck with an unrewarding job and a mediocre career. Unless Larry addresses his core issue, he's going to find himself trying to reproduce this feeling of martyrdom time and time again. As you'll see, Larry isn't an anomaly. All of us have feelings that we try to reproduce and that prevent us from breaking through to the next level. A Collaborative Effort We live in a relationship-driven world, and I would be remiss if I...